For several years, the debate about whether robo-advice would replace face-to-face advice has rumbled on. Well, over the past 18 months, advisors have found themselves unable to offer face-to-face advice, and many robo-advisors have found the market for their services wasn't as big as perhaps they thought, and they've retreated from the market. So what does the future of advice look like? Well, m g Wealth believes the answer is hybrid advice. And this week, we're going to find out a little bit about what that means. I'm David Fantato, digital editor of FT Advisor. With me this week is Richard Caldicott, deputy chief executive of m g Wealth Advice, uh, Terry Donohoe, European chief executive of Ignition, the company that m g Wealth are working with on their hybrid advice proposition, and Sam Turner, a consultant at Altus Consulting, who has recently uh, written a white paper uh, on the issue of hybrid advice. Uh, hello, everybody. Morning, Dave. Hi, Damien. Good morning. Hello. So, uh, Sam, we'll, we'll start with you, if, if I may, just to sort of set the scene. Um, as I mentioned in, in my intro, um, the number of robo-advisors in the UK market has shrunk. Some of them have left the market completely. Some of them have been snapped up. What sort of went wrong with robo-advice, and why have so many purely digital services struggled? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. So, I don't things have gone wrong but a lot of things have gone right i think when we look at some of these businesses it's easy to assume that robo advice 1.0 has been a spectacular failure but some of these businesses have amassed billions of pounds in assets under management and have helped thousands of people make more informed decisions about their finances so on the one hand a lot of stuff's been done very well um if we look at it from a commercial and a profitability perspective then yeah, it's it's a struggle. There's no getting away from the num the fact that the numbers are are difficult to stack up. You're looking at small pots, a relatively small charge being taken on those pots. I think we did some research that looked at where you have a lack of brand awareness amongst the robot advice community. It can take up to five hundred pounds to recruit a new customer, and if you're looking at a, a twenty five bips charge on a twenty k pot, which isn't untypical, you're looking at fifty pounds a year revenue. 10 years to recoup the costs of winning that customer. And that doesn't consider continued innovation and maintenance of the software and all that stuff. So it, the numbers are very difficult to um, to get them to work. Um, I, I also think that there's been perhaps a propositional failure. I think some of the early iterations of robo-advice solutions were nothing more than thinly veiled investment sales journeys. They were let's identify your risk appetite and align that with a portfolio or a multi-asset fund. I don't think they necessarily considered the the real goal of the investor in saving. For instance, a lot of ISA savers in the UK will look to save for a deposit on the first home. Uh, engagement literature and material doesn't necessarily focus in on what are, what are interest rates doing, what impact is that having on the housing market, how close are you to your goal. So I think the the breadth of advice journey was limited, but I know that a lot of good stuff's being done, particularly in the and in retirement space, and, and especially the work that Terry and, and Richard are doing, um, speaks to a real evolution across the sort of breadth of, of advice process that we're now looking at. Mm. Richard, as someone who's in the uh, business of, of providing advice, what's your analysis of, of why uh, the pure digital player has a struggle? So I, th- I think what went wrong, well, if you're not make, if you've been sold for some of a million pounds in the last few weeks, so I'm not sure they would... Uh, see much going wrong with that. Um, <laughs> Probably so, not. That's true. It's, it's, it's all relative, isn't it? I, I, MNG have assessed looking at pure digital plays for the last five years or so, and with various uh, attempts or thoughts about whether we want to do something in this space. And the truth is, we've been inspired by sort of pioneers who've tried to do this. Going right back to 
to LV and Wealth Wizards a number of years ago. There's some really clever stuff uh, back then. And 30 companies that open money, uh, Disney's retirement, Ticker, doing great things in the market. So there's lots of good things happening that certainly have inspired me over the years to want to uh, push this a bit harder. But as Sam called out, looking at it for us internally, it's a pretty difficult business case. The numbers don't really or haven't really stacked yet for a pure robo play for us. Because you're talking about that acquisition cost offset against a fairly small revenue uh, income, it's quite difficult to see a scale and a rate of return that satisfies shareholders. So we've not been in that in that market yet. However, uh, we do think that if you can serve a real customer need, uh, one that we know we have, and as technology costs reduce, uh, there's definitely an opportunity to build a scalable offer. But and we've often seen uh, that for clients, particularly the more complex need like retirement, the requirement of a human being in the process is still you know, really fundamental. And the tech can deliver some of the outcomes uh, of the advice need, but what it can't do um, is reassure, educate and support the customer in a way that we think is critical, particularly at retirement. Uh, and I think that, for me, is the, is the most important thing about this next evolution. Um, it does change the proposition quite a bit, but it's a pretty important change to make, we think. Sure. And I suppose that, that segues us nicely into into your proposition, what you guys are doing at M&G Wealth. You guys are sort of moving into expanding into the, into the advice market. And one of the ways that you're going to be doing that, with that, that is through hybrid advice. Tell me a bit about what what that means. Doesn't hybrid yeah. advice just mean replacing you know face to face conversations with phone calls or or Zoom meetings? Isn't that something that a lot of advisors have been doing? Yeah, so I, I, I want to start by saying that we we fundamentally believe in advice, uh, and for many of our clients, that will be holistic financial planning, delivered either by us or by our many fantastic external advisor partners. And we don't see that changing. We see that that market will continue to thrive and be really important to support. But there are a whole bunch of clients in the UK who don't get financial advice and they can't afford to get financial advice. They don't have the, the means for it uh, or perhaps the need for full holistic planning. And we see that within our business uh, and we need to try to help close that advice gap. And we've used the term hybrid in our business for the last 18 months internally. It's only an internal term, by the way. We won't use it with customers. To talk about the power of combining great tech, digital tech, robotech, if you will, uh, with human advisors. Uh, and that's what we mean by, by hybrid, doing it aggressively. For the advisors that we uh, we work with today, both ones in our network uh, and externally, the first steps in that hybrid journey, that digital journey, most naturally and obviously, are using video technology and e-seg and things like that. And they make great sense. And COVID really has made that much, much more prevalent we certainly saw in our business, our advisors were a bit reluctant at the start, to be honest, to use video capability. But a year and a half down the line, recognised they'll use it three quarters of the time. But if we really want to close the advice gap and really serve the underserved customer with more modest wealth in the UK, we've got to do this much, much more aggressively, go much further and much faster. There's a great survey by Next Wealth. I, I use this all the time, right, where they say that for the average advice business in the UK, it's about half an FTE of manpower uh, a week to onboard a new client. And that then creates cost and complexity and time and effort that makes advice expensive. And so we've got to do our best to try and tackle that. And when we talk about hybrid, there's two things I think about. One is the, 
the user experience, the client experience, and the second is the integrations. And getting those really slick and really deep will make the whole process much more efficient. So there's various things we can do beyond video, beyond the signature. So for example, making the triage really slick and clever, making the, the fact finding really intuitive, really easy to understand, giving the, the client a chance to assess the attitude to risk with, it, with the advisor digitally in a very gamified and engaging way, giving the advisor clear recommendations with which they can advise the customer on and making easy to modify those recommendations automatically when the client reveals more information about themselves that helps create a different output. And all that automation all the way through from start to end can really take out some of the hours spent, or not client-facing hours, that add cost and complexity into the experience for the customer. And that's where I think you can begin to lower the cost of the device uh, for clients. And that's what we talk about as hybrid, but at the core of it is the human being. And that's a really important thing for me. Mm -hmm. Sure. And, and tell you, from Ignition's point of view, you're the company that's working with uh, M&G Wealth on, on, on this proposition. What um, does hybrid uh, advice mean for you guys? It, it's exactly as um, Richard has so eloquently uh, articulated there. It is end-to-end. -end. It is not part of it. It is not a Zoom call. It is the user experience. When we talk about that, it's customers and advisors everybody in the mix you need to create the consistency of experience across the board and uh, that strengthens your conduct risks and challenges like that that people don't typically think about for the likes of richard and, and institutions in the background it, it is true efficient how do you bring those efficiencies to bear and that's not a simple task and it involves uh, a large level of orchestration in the background to bring many uh, disparate systems together to actually provide that experience so it's not a, a very simple uh, add zoom experience and that creates digital and um, that that's a very uh, short extension of what advice is today it's just it's doing it over video as opposed to doing it face to face so uh, it is that entire experience i think, so, I think it, sorry damien i think it, it's very easy to to sort of point out the use of zoom and e-signatures as unremarkable from a sort of tech perspective but i think what's come with that over the last year or so carries some significant benefits i think there's two main ones richard alluded to operational efficiency of the advice firm i've spoken to advisors who have increased their productivity there from having two advice meetings a day where they're up and down the m4 or what it might be uh, to having six or seven and so productivity has just increased remarkably but i think they're also on a sort of broader advice community level it's enforced an attitudinal change around the use of technology in their business i think previously wealth managers and financial planners were protective over the the coaching and the the interpersonal stuff that they'll do with their clients and rightly so because that's what they're very good at but i think they've they've now awoken to the benefits of technology within their business and the tech's been there for some time i think there has been a reluctance to use that and i think that's now changing so what we might see is this use of zoom and the use of e-signatures acting as the catalyst for for fundamental change in how advice is delivered in the uk because as i say the text there is open finance open banking uh, solutions become more sophisticated as richard said if we can get the fact find sort of more seamlessly completed if you can begin to gamify some of the education and engagement i think you see the role of technology as being one of enriching the human-led financial advice process rather than replacing it as we might have envisaged previously i think one of the things i was reflecting on sam is that we, we talk about hybrid in our business today like it's a separate channel and it probably will be when we start things off 
But in truth, I think um, it's a spectrum. I suspect over time, more and more of the stuff we're doing in this separate sort of pilot channel will begin to become commonplace technology for advisors. Because what it's not doing is remotely replacing the job of the advisor. It's replacing all the bits that add time and complexity to the advisor's workload that take, I don't know, six hours of the nine hours to give financial advice out of the process. And why wouldn't we just gradually make those things more and more mainstream as the tech gets better and better? The thing about the last year and a half that's interesting though as well is the client's behaviour has changed. So particularly at retirement, we are serving clients in their 60s very often. I think we've seen a much, much, um, a much more acceptance of video and digital over the last year and a half than we saw a year and a half ago. Uh, and we were concerned our clients wouldn't want to interact with us by video. But of course, they've begun to do that through their whole life, whether it be with their grandkids or whatever it happens to be. And so video has become the norm. Right? And clearly, uh, booming online shopping has become the norm, etc. And it's, they're, all, they're all concepts that were always going to become more and more mainstream, but have massively accelerated to the last year and a half. And, you know, it's been a horrendous year and a half, but these little things are things we can build upon to accelerate that advice experience, whether that be holistically or whether that be through a more simplified approach that we're taking in the hybrid journeys we're building uh, mm-hmm. for our mm-hmm. for our class of modest wealth, M&G. Mm-hmm. And, um, Terry, for many people, um, digital advice is associated with, you know, standardized processes, um, the use of algorithms, for example, but that often relies on on cases which look like each other, but advice can sometimes be highly personal. So when you go get into the business of actually providing something like hybrid advice, digital advice, how, how do you square that circle? I think this predominantly reaches back into to Sam's original comments around the, the propositional and um, misalignment perhaps that, that where robo probably just didn't take the box and what we know is most people's understanding and knowledge is pretty low across these subjects and um, and that leads to uh, probably a last lack of trust in in the underlying assumptions and, and skepticism around the likes of algorithms um, in robo it's got to be quite tight because it's driving streamlined outcomes so it's fair to actually have that um, skepticism in place but Robo does what it says on the tin. When we go to broader hybrid advice, like Richard has spoken to, um, really it is about the inputs. So if, if each of the four of us put inputs into the uh, fact gathering, the algorithm should drive unique outputs for each of us. It's critical then for the proposition to, to step above that and bring the advisor into the mix to provide that confidence around the assumptions and that are there. So it's the tools that you give the advisors, that are going to help join the dots for the users of the actual solutions in place at that point in time. And that's what will provide confidence around the algorithms and assumptions that uh, underlie propositions like this. Mm-hmm. I, I, um, I spent time last year uh, with Sam looking at various providers all across the marketplace, all across the globe, actually, to help build our proposition. And he met lots of providers of technology. My observation would be that the problem's not algorithms, right? It is very, very, they're very capable of quite considerable complexity and personalization. And there are many companies who've done some great work in this space, right? And uh, the reality, though, is advice isn't binary. It doesn't only have one possible outcome for the client. There are different ways, perhaps, 
to best serve the client need. And that's where you come back for me to hybrid. So when a client puts in their information and we gather their, their situation and what they want to try and do, then I think it's important that we then have that client conversation to challenge and to validate what they've put in, to make sure they understand what they want. When they might not have thought the thing through the way they should have done or the way they want to do with some challenge, then where the system really helps us is making that modification process really slick and easy so that actually when you modify the advice or modify the inputs, it still creates a very slick and automated experience in the administration after that. So it's not about creating an algorithm that gives a one-size-fits-all answer and is then rolled out and rolled through. The advisor still will challenge and validate. It's just important that process doesn't create a whole bunch more hours of work to create a different outcome. And that's certainly what, you know, the work Kai's built for me is really helping me do. It's that, it's that conversation and that validation will lead me to quite a quick process to change the recommendation to the right recommendation for the client. Yeah. Um, but actually, for me, the algorithms are still are still fundamental. Really? Where's a gap, Damien, though, I was going to say, where's a gap, Damien, for me, is that most of these technology solutions don't yet deal with holistic planning. So they don't, they don't deal with trading off a set of complex needs a client has. They, they're very, very good at taking a single need a client has and building a very complex and thought-through journey to help deal with that simple need. And so I think as they evolve and as... I'm sure Terry evolves his business, that becomes more and more of a challenge to create the ability to trade off different holistic planning needs rather than simply that streamlined need. Mm. And that's where I think we'll see the business the market evolve in the future. And on that point very quickly, a lot of the a lot of the services that I speak to advice firms about it focuses very much on the investment side of things when you mentioned holistics the holistic side of things does, does that mean that mng's hybrid advice is going to cover things like you know protection or, or um yeah you know mortgages maybe so, so our, our ambition uh damien is to cover a range of different services but i think that, that, that we, we are still a bit limited technologically is you'll, you, you know, it's easy for us with Terry support to build journeys that cover all those different needs, right? So whether that be uh, decumulation, accumulation, investment, protection, uh, they're all there to get built out and, and, and developed. What uh, is still, I think, just beyond the reach of us is the combination of those things where you're beginning to say to a customer, well, actually, we think you should do this rather than that. You want to do investment accumulation, but you should do protection instead. And that kind of combination of, of discussions is still just a bit beyond, I think, the reach of some of the, some of the technology. But we'll get there. Mm. But certainly for us, we're going to start with retirement because you've got a customer need there. And that's, for me, the best place to start, right? And then we'll build out other services. Um, mm. That, that's a really great point, I think, Richard. In, in terms of when we look at Richard's proposition, you have to have all of those services in behind. So you have to have all of those advice journeys in behind before you can actually that financial assessment together to create and drive the next best action. So what should a client do? They may want to come in and invest, but perhaps like Richard said, it might be insurance, the actual uh, need that they have at that point of time. And when you look at the challenges of implementing solutions like this, if, if you take that approach and you say, well, we want to put that holistic advice piece in place first, you have this really intensive 
uh, implementation program that has to put everything in place before you can go out the door and start utilizing the actual tool sets that you have. So it takes time to actually put the, the end solution and proposition in place to get it to that point in time. Um, our experience typically is uh, with, with other clients is it can take two, two and a half years to get to that point before you can actually get the likes of true financial assessment in place that can drive those next best actions. Um, but that is, uh, that's where this has to move to and, and we're well down the path yeah, yeah. I think that there are just going back to the use of an algorithm within the price business. There are a number of benefits to defining those rules. What we've seen when we've looked at digital advice or hybrid advice with our advice clients, it's been okay. There's a blank sheet of paper. Write down your advice rules. Write down how your firm would act given a certain scenario. And frankly, they're, they're unable to do it. And it identifies a wide variance in the way that advice is delivered across the firm. So being confronted with that challenge, being asked to define those advice rules, which will simply act as the as the, as the guide rails rather than sort of delivering the solution. They'll act as the guide rails, and it'll be supplemented with um with the coaching and with the financial planning that the individual will provide. It. It allows the firm to define its ethos, to define its culture, and it also it carries with it a number of uh, quality assurance and compliance benefits. You can you can govern the algorithm. You can you can case check almost every single case, or you can just pull out those where the advisor has changed the the recommendation produced by by the rules engine. So th there's a lot to be said for the the use of an algorithm within an advice business. Mm -hmm. and, and Richard, we've we've touched on on this already, but what what impact do you see this will have on the fees and charges uh, that M&G uh, wealth levies, uh, the type of client that M&G wealth levies, because this is the thing that the FCA is keen on, on uh, innovation in advice doing. It, it wants to fill the advice gap. So, so we start with our purpose, right? So the M&G wealth advice purpose is to become the most accessible and inclusive advice business we can possibly become. Uh, and that really talks to the advice gap. But we start with segmentation. There are many, many clients for whom the current advice process and service is, is the right one, be that through ourselves or through uh, advisors all over the UK. right? And they, they want and they can afford and they need holistic financial planning. And that will, will, will always be the case. And hopefully we can make them, those advisors, be them working with us or externally more efficient and more, with more tools and help. But the truth is, you know, we want to try and help close that advice gap. Now, what we actually, how we actually price the service uh, we're still working through, Damien. We're still testing out various models and various ideas. But the reality is, by making something hybrid, you've put a human advisor at its heart. And our challenge is that's got a cost. It's got a real cost that we absolutely should explicitly and wholly pass back to the customer, right? And that's how we're going to price this service. And we're going to add on the cost of technology, which is you know, reducing quite materially, uh, and the cost of running the advice business. So we'll end up with a price point somewhere between digital services, which are often cheap or free, uh, and the cost of holistic planning today. What I can say for certainty is that, you know, we, we expect what we're building to materially cut the time it takes to give advice. And all of that efficiency will flow back into the customer charge and become quite materially lower, we expect, um, by the end state. What we're still debating is how we charge them. Do we charge them a percentage of their assets as is normal in the market? Do we charge them a fixed fee? Do we charge them a subscription model? And there are various pros and cons and you know, we're still working them through. We'll test them with clients, I suspect, over the course of, of our pilot period. Certainly today, 
it's typically um, possible and likely that we can advise clients with about 100 grand of investable assets. But once you get into more modest wealth, it's quite difficult. A lot of our clients at retirement have got less than £50,000 in their pension pot. So we've absolutely got to be in that space. Um, where I think we've got a sort of further debate is just quite how low can you afford to go? How far down that chain can you go and still keep a human being in the process and add value and make it value for money? And that's still where you know, I think we'll find as we go through a pilot period how efficient we can make the service and quite where that, where that balance is. We've got to get ourselves below that sort of £50,000 of investable assets, probably down to at least £30,000, I think. But that's one that will evolve and work through as we start to test it with clients of the journey. Mm-hmm. I think I think we we expect to see a change in the model. I think where where you've had a, a human financial planner and they're taking a 0.5 ongoing and offering an annual review, I suspect that the younger generation of investor are unlikely to tolerate that model. I think they're going to have specific advice needs at a point in time. It might be a house purchase. It might be buying a second property to let out. There are certain tax implications of that. They'll expect to consume the advice that they're paying for as and when they need it. And that attitudinal change, as Richard mentioned earlier, towards an acceptance of video calling and a move towards an acceptance of advice delivered by an algorithm that all supports that model and that's sort of where we see direction of travel as far as the model as a whole is concerned we've not we've not got very far yet uh, or far enough yet in our thinking about how we support that customer once the plan's established in year two three and four we're working on that at the moment with terry and fleshing that out but there's clearly a whole bunch of things you can do digitally to support the customer so if a customer's got, for example, a plan to draw down income over a period of time, and that plan you know, demonstrates that they might expect that to run down over, until their mid-80s, let's say, or whatever date we, we, we advise on, then showing the variability in that, either because the markets perform differently or because they take more income out, how that affects them and what that means for their plan, is something you can do quite cheaply and easily digitally on an ongoing basis. But we think it's got real value to the client how you charge for that in a way that is reflective of the value is quite important. And that's that's the next sort of evolution in our thinking. We've got mm-hmm. a really clear view of how we deliver that initial advice, and that's you know in build and, uh, and developed. But the opportunity, I think, for clients to get a great outcome comes if we can find a slick way to deliver that ongoing support through their retirement or through their investment journey or whatever it happens to be, so that, in fact, they... They're never far from advice. It's never, yeah. it's never a once a year. I'll check in with you and do a, a physical review. It's a, it's a much more live experience, and, and that I think is is very possible with technology, mm-hmm. um, and therefore very cheap to deliver. And you can intervene physically when the situation demands that intervention because something's happened that requires something uh, to be physical rather than digital. Mm-hmm. And. Um- Terry, Ignition is an Australian company launched in the UK two months ago, I think. Uh, and MNG Wealth is uh, one of your first um, clients in the UK. Uh, what's your um, aim for, for for your presence in the UK? Uh, you, do you see yourselves working with more companies like MNG or some of the smaller, the, the proliferation of smaller advice firms that are on the market? Um, so if, if taken in, in order of priority, the fir- first priority is to do a great job for Richard. So that Richard <laughs> speaks highly of us. Um, 
to it to other prospective clients. Um, it, we are primarily aimed at large institutions, looking at plugging the advice gap and, and helping them solve all the challenges that we've spoken about today, and um, so that they can have distribution networks that we can solve in that way for them. So it, it's really flexible uh, um, from a, a platform perspective. And from an ambitions perspective, okay, we're pretty clear we want to be the, the, the global leading digital advice partner for institutions. Um, that's no different in the UK. First, first up is doing a great job for MG. Um, we've put in place teams in London and Edinburgh uh, in the first few months of this year, and we're about to uh, hire um, probably another 15 uh, team members in the UK region um, over the next uh, three to four months as well. So, um, really hopeful and, and positive about the market and, and what's going on. We think it's leading the globe at the moment in digital uh, advice at the moment um, and hugely positive. I think that's a, it presents an interesting challenge for us all, Terry, which is, you know, as companies like yourself work with companies like us, our challenge is how we help the smaller financial advisors in the marketplace to access the technology. And whether that comes through companies like MNG Wealth using our platform, <laughs> To help offer technology or, or, or whatever, it's, I don't think it's a. I mean, you see Royal London with an acquisition of wealth wizards looking at how they can use that technology to help advisors, and I think that's a great ambition for us all to have, which is to try and find a way when they've got the scale and the capital to test out and deliver technology, but then make it useful to as many clients and advisors as we can. I'm not sure I've thought through quite how we do that yet, but it's definitely an ambition for us. Uh, when it gets complex is that clearly the work we're doing with Ignition uses our advice rules to create our journeys. And that's why it's a bit complex because you don't want to be giving our advice rules to somebody else to have to use. But there's certainly going to be a, a model in the long term where this tech can get much more democratically distributed by using institutions you work with to, 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 do, to do that, I think, with partner advisors. I, I think so. I think that that has to be one of the ultimate ambitions of, of this. Um, we work with uh, Bank of Ireland Group over here in Ireland, and, and they have that model. They, they have a, a, a manufacturing part of the business on the New Ireland insurance, and that does distribute to IFAs and, and, and corporate brokers and so forth. And, and that is the model that they're looking at, that, that Richard is uh, considering at the moment, that it is how you get, because in and of itself, the capital expenditure to put a solution like this in place is beyond a five or ten or twenty man firm there's no way around that one so how do we over time democratize it create a scale that actually brings the, the cost efficiencies to enable uh, smaller practices get a hold of true perhaps partners like MNG uh, Sam do you think that's a model that we're likely to see emerge I think it's a really interesting idea and I think it has potential to do significant good across the sort of the advice gap in the UK. Um, and I know that Terry and the team is doing some great work to provide configurability dashboards so that advice firms are able to refine the rules and create their own rules with relative ease without technical specialisms without, within the business. So there's some brilliant stuff being done. And yeah, I, I can certainly see that it's a model that we'll, uh, we'll adopt in the future. Well, sounds interesting. And uh, yeah, it's going to be exciting to see uh, what emerges uh, both at MNG and in the wider industry. Thanks very much to Richard, Terry and Sam. And thank you very much for listening and tune in again next week for the next edition of the FT Advisor podcast. Hold up. 
Did you know the Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin? Through the words and experiences of investment professionals, you'll discover who was their best mentor, what's a mistake they made that changed their approach, and how do they find their next great idea. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great, too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com.